Who are your heroes? We just entered the Olympic season. Summer Olympics just began this weekend, and a new crop of heroes will emerge that America cheers on. And we think about athletic heroes and heroes maybe in the political realm or in history, uh, entertainment, people that we that we look up to, that we even aspire to be like. We all have heroes. But I want to make the case this morning that you and I ought to have gospel heroes. Heroes that inspire us to give our lives for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. We need those kinds of heroes in our lives. And I want to tell you a good place to start. If you're looking for a gospel hero... The Apostle Paul is a great place to start. He is an example of who we should aspire to be. Certainly not perfect, but his life shines brightly as an example to be emulated. And so I want to encourage you to think about Paul and his example today. And keeping that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 13. Acts chapter 20, verse 13. We are jumping back in our study of the book of Acts. We took a break this summer as we studied the doctrine of the Trinity. And we're back in Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse 13 is where we will begin reading. Just kind of a heads up as to where we're headed uh, in the future. Uh, My goal is to finish the book of Acts by the end of this year. We have about just a little over eight chapters left. And so we're going to try to finish up this study. And then in 2017... We're going to begin a study through the book of Joshua, and I am excited about that. I've already begun studying, preparing my thoughts for that series, and so can't wait to... I've I've been wanting to preach Joshua for years, and and, uh, finally we get the opportunity to to walk through Joshua together. So that's coming as well. But we want to finish Acts, and there's some just tremendous uh, material in these last chapters of the book of Acts. And so keeping that in mind, look with me in Acts chapter 20, verse 13. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. God's Word is breathed out from God through human instruments. So what we have here is God's Word to us, truth with no mixture of error. And I'm grateful for that. Acts chapter 20, Verse 13, the Bible says, But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hasting to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But... 
I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, you are the great I am. And you are, Lord, the reason that we're here. You are the center of attention. And we just ask for the grace to lift up your matchless name, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, to listen as you speak to us through your word, applied to our lives by your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be moved by your word today, that we would be more resolved to follow Jesus wherever he leads, and that we would, Lord, uh, allow your grace to flow freely and fully through our lives so you can make us into who you want us to be. And we'll thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just to reorient you to the book of Acts, we've taken a couple of months off. We've been following Paul on his third missionary journey. As the book of Acts unfolds, you see that Paul embarks and carries out three missionary journeys. And here in Acts 20, he is in the midst of his third missionary journey. Uh, The Bible tells us that he spent two years in the city of Ephesus. He spent a great deal of time in that city with the Christians there. He had a lot of influence in that area, a lot of close relationships. He cared deeply for the church in Ephesus. And after he spent a couple of years there, after a great riot in Ephesus, he left and went to Macedonia and Greece and spent some time there. But then he began to journey back from the Greece-Macedonia area toward Jerusalem in Israel. He was going back to that city, making his way there. As he makes his way back to Jerusalem, he spends seven days in the port city of Troas, and that's where we stopped. If you remember, the last time we were together in the book of Acts, we looked at Paul's sermon in Troas. He preached late at night, and there was a young man on the third story listening to Paul preach, sitting in a window, and he fell asleep, fell out of the window, and died. And God graciously resurrected him, so he did not stay dead. But it was a warning to the church at Troas, and all of us don't sleep while the preacher preaches. (laughs) But that happened in Troas, and and as Paul finishes his work in Troas, he begins to, to leave that area, and he wants to head to Jerusalem, and he wants to go there with haste. Look what it says in verse in verse 16, it says, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening, he was in a hurry, to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. He wanted to get there before the Feast of Pentecost. He knew he didn't need to go through Ephesus. He knew the people in Ephesus loved him, and they would just beg him and entreat him to stay longer than he wanted to stay. And so he decided to go around Ephesus, and then when he got to Miletus, called the leaders of the church in Ephesus to come to him so he could give them some final instructions uh, in that city. But as I'm thinking about Paul going around Ephesus, I thought about a pastor that we worked with in South Asia uh, named Praveen Kumar. And Praveen Kumar was this guy that was just super hospitable, 
And if you came into contact with Praveen Kumar, you better be willing to stay a while. Because he would just demand. I mean, you'd be passing through the city, and you'd be in a hurry to get to the next city. But if you met Praveen Kumar, before you were at his house, you were drinking tea, you were eating food. He had this ministry assignment he wanted you to do. And he, it just, he was just such a hospitable guy. He, he, he just wouldn't let you leave. And, and I thought about that. Paul wants to get around Ephesus because he's in a hurry. And he gets to Miletus and calls the leaders so he can encourage them there. And the rest of the chapter uh, is Paul sharing this farewell message with the leaders of the church in Ephesus, whom he loved so very dearly. Now, it was originally my goal to finish chapter 20 this morning, but it ain't, it ain't going to happen, all right? It's not going to happen this morning. Uh, what I've done is I've, I've d- uh, divided the sermon that he preaches here into two sections. The first section is what I call Paul's example. He shares with them uh, how he lived his life among them. The second part of the sermon is what I call Paul's encouragement. He's encouraging them to carry on faithfully leading the church there in Ephesus. And so what we're going to do is, this morning, we're going to look at the first half of the sermon, Paul's example. Then next week, we're going to study Paul's encouragement to the leaders of that church. But this morning, we're going to just look at Paul's example, because again, Paul is a, a hero of the faith. He is worthy of our emulation. And so I want to show you three reasons that Paul is an example, or three areas in which Paul is an example to us. First of all, Paul is an example of intimacy with God. Paul is an example of intimacy with God. Now, when you're reading through sections of Scripture like this, you can just kind of read through some text really, really fast, particularly the travel details, and you can miss some really neat insight. Look what it says there in verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos. Now, this is Luke writing Acts, and Luke is part of Paul's missionary team. And he says, we got on the ship and left Troas, headed to Assos. For so Paul had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And so Luke's saying he sent the team on boat from Troas to Assos, and Paul was going to make the journey by land. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? The, the journey was about a day's boat trip, and it was about a 20-mile walk. And so Paul decided he wanted to walk the 20 miles. There's no indication anyone's with him. He wants to walk the 20 miles by himself. And the question is, why? Why did Paul make that journey on foot? The answer is, the Bible doesn't say. But if we look at his sermon, we can begin to speculate what was happening on that 20-mile walk from Troas to Assos. And here's my best guess. Perhaps he was desiring to spend time alone with God to discern his will and prepare for what was ahead. Because look what it says down there in verse 22. He's speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit." Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul says, listen, I'm headed to Jerusalem, and I'm constrained by the Spirit. And that word constrained is an interesting word. It literally means bound. So Paul's saying, I'm bound by the Spirit of God to go to Jerusalem. I know that when I get there, it's going to be hard. There are imprisonments, afflictions, but the Holy Spirit has told me to go. And that word, bound... Uh, constrained is a perfect tense participle. And the perfect tense is used to speak of a past completed action with ongoing implications. And so here's what Paul's saying. There was a time in the past where the Holy Spirit bound me to go to Jerusalem. He made it clear, 
I was supposed to go to Jerusalem. And now the reason I'm headed there is because he told me to go. There's ongoing implications to his command that he gave me. Perhaps it was on this 20-mile walk that the Holy Spirit nailed it down. Paul, it's going to be hard, but I want you to go. And Paul could say, past event, I was bound in the past with ongoing implications in my life. Today, I'm going there because I have been bound to go. So what's happening here? I believe that Paul takes the 20-mile walk because he needed to get his thoughts together. And he wanted to discern exactly what God wanted him to do. And the Lord revealed to him it was going to be hard. So I believe that Paul is doing some soul preparation. He's getting ready for the hardships that he knows are lying ahead. In other words, Paul is an example of intimacy with God. He, we know from other passages in the Bible that Paul had a rich, full prayer life and listened with sensitivity to God's leading in his life. And so it's just hard to imagine that he went on a 20-mile walk and didn't pray, isn't it? Surely he was on that walk and spending some time with God, getting ready for what's next, being constrained, bound by the Spirit, which would carry him through in obedience. And so wait, what does that got to do with us? I mean, what's the, what's the application for us? I mean, if he's an example to follow, an example of intimacy with God, what does that mean for you and for me? Well, here's what it might mean. It might mean that you and I just need to go on some more Jesus walks. Right? Away from cell phones and the dinging text messages and the busyness and frantic pace of life. Maybe we need to find some time, carve out some time in life to just get alone with the Lord. So we can hear him clearly and discern his marching orders for our lives and prepare ourselves to follow him wherever he leads. Because most of the time when you follow Jesus, it's going to take you to some difficult places, through some difficult things. Because Jesus wants to use your life to impact others and that can be hard, right? And so maybe you and I need to follow this example of of intimacy with the Lord, making sure there is that time that we have alone with God. Paul is an example of this. I know that it is difficult to, to hear from the Lord. We live frenetic lives. We live hurried and and busy and and stressed and and strained but if we are going to follow the Lord fully if we're going to follow Jesus wherever he leads we need that time alone with God to hear from him Paul is an example of intimacy with God he spent that time alone with him there's a second thing here Paul is an example of Reckless abandon to God's will. Reckless abandon to God's will. Look what he says in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So Paul's saying, remember my life. This is the example I lived before you. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And then fast forward down to verse 22. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. That'll bless you, right? Hey, Paul, 
go to Jerusalem and just know you're going to get arrested when you get there. Wow. You would think, how does Paul continue obeying even in the face of such intimidating things? Well, look what he says next. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Paul is saying here, I am, I am recklessly abandoning myself, dangerously abandoning myself to the will of God for my life. Whatever it means, I, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. What an example of reckless abandon. Now, if you're going to follow Jesus wherever he leads, you've got to come to a place of full surrender. And that's not easy. Full Total surrender of your life. That's what Paul is saying here. I, I live a surrendered life. Wherever he leads, no matter what's in my future, I'm going to follow him. How did Paul come to that place of surrender? How can you and I come to that place of full surrender? I was studying this this past week and I'm thinking, boy, I'm just not there yet. That, that full, total surrender, that reckless abandon. I want to be there, but it's a, it's a struggle. How do we do that? Well, I believe in this text there are some implied statements of surrender that I want to share with you. Some, some things that you and I have to be able to say if we're going to live a fully surrendered life. Here's the first statement. You ready? The future is not mine to control. The future is not mine to control. Look what he says in verse 22. I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me except hardship. <laughs> I don't know the details. It's going to be hard. I don't know how it's all going to play out. All I know is God told me to go, and I'm not in control of the future. And if you're going to follow Jesus wherever he leads, you've got to let go of this illusion of control. See, some of you think you are in perfect control of your life, and that is not accurate. We're not in control. I don't care what your 401k is and where you live and what you drive and what your job is. You Listen, you're not in control. God's in control. And and we don't know the future. He knows the future. So our job is not to live in such a way that we control and manipulate our lives to be comfortable. Our job is to follow Jesus and leave the future in his hands. You've heard the statement, haven't you? I I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And and Paul's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. But I know who's in control. God is. So I will gladly, with abandon, Follow Jesus Christ. A surrendered person follows God wherever he leads, even if they don't know what's going to happen when they follow. They leave the future in his hands. Here's a second statement of surrender. This life is not my own. This life is not my own. Look what it says in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. You know what Paul's saying here? It's extraordinary. Paul's saying, this life is not my life. It's not precious to myself. It's not about, it's his life. My life is in his hands. He can do with my life whatever he wants to do. That's surrender, isn't it? You come to a place of spiritual maturity in your life and you say, you know what? This is my life. It's not, it's not about me. It's, it's, it's his life. My life is in his hands. He can do with my life, listen, whatever he wants to do. A surrendered person gets their sense of purpose from God's assignment for their lives. Whatever God wants me to do, that's going to be front and center in my life. This life is not my own. 
know what Jesus said when he taught us what it means to follow him? He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This life is not my own. That's a statement of surrender. But here's a third statement of surrender. You and I need to be able to say this if we're going to live a life of reckless abandon. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. Look what he says in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course. Paul understood there was a finish line. And and if we're not careful, we'll live our lives in such a way that we're not thinking about the finish line. We live like we're going to be here forever. We're not. Paul said that I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul's saying, this world's not my home. There's a finish line coming. So I don't want to live for the here and now. I want to live for eternity. I want to store up treasures in heaven so that when I cross the finish line, there is reward when I go to heaven and I'm there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Paul understood this world was not his home. If if he thought this world was his home, he would have spent his life being comfortable. Not following Jesus into the face of imprisonment and affliction. This past week, I was cleaning off my desk. It was badly in need of being cleaned off and... I stunned away some, some post-it notes, and I found a post-it note that I wrote. It's probably years ago. It was under a bunch of stuff, and, and, and I found this post-it note, and I realized this is perfect for the sermon. Here's what I wrote down on a post-it note. I don't know what was going through my mind when I wrote it, but I wrote this statement down. If you're going to live in radical obedience, you have to come to grips with the fact that this world is not your home. Say it again. If you're going to live in radical obedience, you've got to come to grips with the fact that this world is not your home. Stop acting like your life consists of your possessions. Can I, can I tell you this? One day, your possessions are going to be given to somebody else. And eventually, they're just going to burn up. And we give all of our energy and, and thought and focus into making this life comfortable. Like, we're going to be here forever. We're not. We need to begin to think about what's beyond this life. And instead of storing up treasures on this earth, storing up treasures in heaven. You'll never live a life of reckless abandon if you believe this world is your home. Paul said, I'm seeking to finish my course. There is a finish line. And you you and I don't know when the finish line is. Only God knows that. So our goal is to be good stewards of the time God gives us leading up to the finish line, right? It's a statement of surrender. And so how do you know that you're surrendered to God? Can you say, the future's not mine to control, this life is not my own, and this world is not my home? Now, you're talking, or you're looking at a homebody. I, I, love, I, love, I like to travel, but I just love being at home. You can ask my family that. I like to just hang out and watch a movie or eat a family meal together or play Candyland or chess or something. I mean, I like to just read a book. I just love to be around the house. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly content around, around the house. I'm a homebody. But a lot of us treat life like homebodies. Let's just settle in and get as comfortable as we can. That is not the goal. You know what that is? That's the American dream. And the American dream and the kingdom dream are diametrically opposed. The kingdom dream is this. I surrender all. 
so the Lord can use my life fully for his glory. That's what the kingdom is about. But there's a third area in which Paul is worthy of emulation. He's an example of intimacy with God. He's an example of reckless abandon to God's will. But third, he's an example of a faithful watchman. A faithful watchman. Look what Paul says in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then look in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all? Isn't that an interesting phrase? Where is he getting that from? Well, I believe that he's getting that phrase from the metaphor of the watchman that's used over in the book of Ezekiel. The idea of being innocent of the blood of the people is a reference to this Old Testament role of the watchman. So turn with me to Ezekiel. Hold your place. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to see here how God called Ezekiel to be a watchman. Ezekiel 3, verse 16, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel's a prophet, and God's telling him what to say and how to live. And and the Lord said to Ezekiel, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Now, a watchman was a very important position in ancient times. They would stand on the city's wall, and they would keep watch for invaders and for danger. And if, if danger was coming, they would shout out, Hey, prepare! Prepare to fight. The, the, uh, an enemy army's on the way. And they would warn the people of the approaching danger. And so here's what God's saying. I want you to be a watchman for Israel. I want you to tell my people that danger is coming if they don't turn to me. And he goes on to say, Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not, not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. You know what the Lord's saying here? He's saying to Ezekiel, it's a very serious thing. If you have truth, you have my word and you don't warn the people about what's coming. That's a serious, there, there are implications for your life, Ezekiel. The blood is on your hands. You're responsible in that way. So back over in Acts chapter 20 when Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all people here in this area of Ephesus, Asia Minor. What Paul's saying is this, listen to me. He's saying, I've taken advantage of the opportunities God has given me and I've told people the truth. That's what he means. So I'm innocent of the blood of all people. In in other words, Paul's saying, I've been a faithful watchman. So you say, wait, I need to be a faithful watchman. How can I be a faithful watchman? Well, there's some, some ways that you and I can make sure we are faithful watchmen. Three things. Number one, faithful watchmen don't shrink back. Look what it says in verse 20. 
He says, you remember how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then look what he says down in verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That word shrink is an interesting word, shrink back. It, it's the word hypostello in the Greek. It, it literally means to draw back, to avoid, to be timid about, or to be silent. And Paul's saying when it came to the gospel and sharing the truth about God and the truth about eternity and the truth about salvation, I, I did not, he's emphatic, I did not shrink back. I was not timid. I was not silent. I was bold and courageous in sharing the truth. And faithful watchmen are those that don't shrink back. They have spiritual courage to share the truth with those who desperately need to hear it. Faithful watchmen don't shrink back. Secondly, faithful watchmen preach the whole gospel. Look what it says in verse 20. He says, you remember how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 27, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So here's what Paul's saying. I gave you the entirety of the gospel message. Not just parts or not just the parts that were pleasant to listen to. I gave you the truth so that you would have the truth and know how you needed to respond. There in verse 20, he mentions, uh, 20 and 21, he mentions two sides of the same coin when it comes to responding to the good news about Jesus. He says, I preach faith toward God or repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's how we respond to the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took all of our sins on himself and paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. And after he died on the cross, he was buried. And early on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, right? Because he died on the cross for our sins, because he defeated death. If we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, he will forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. But how do we respond to what Jesus has done? Repentance and faith. That's what Paul said, I preach. Repentance is saying, The way I'm going is not the right way. It's an acknowledgement that you can't save yourself. It's an acknowledgement that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you want to turn from your sin. That's that's repentance. And turn towards Christ and place your faith and trust and confidence in Christ alone. That's how you respond to the gospel. Repentance and faith. Faith and repentance. Two sides of the same coin. I believe sometimes we preach an easy believism type message. That, you know, salvation is just, you know, hey, just kind of pray this prayer and, and uh, sign up for church membership or whatever, and, and you're in the club. And, and we don't talk about repentance and faith, turning from your sin, acknowledgement that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, faith, trusting in Christ alone to save you. He's your only hope. You're resting in His finished work receiving the free gift of grace that he offers you. That, my friends, is how you respond to the gospel. So Paul said, I gave you the whole counsel of God. I didn't shrink back from anything. You knew the implications. If you respond to Jesus Christ, you're forgiven and go to heaven. If you don't, you die and go to hell. You heard the whole counsel of God. I warned you as a faithful watchman. I warned you to run to Christ as your only hope. You and I, 
we're going to be faithful watchmen, we've got to tell people the truth. There's only one way to be saved, and his name is Jesus. And that's not Wade making that up. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if people die and they have not embraced Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches, they will go to that awful place called hell, a place of eternal conscious torment separated from God forever. That's the whole counsel related to eternity in the gospel. But if you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins will be washed away. You'll be reconciled to a holy God, and you'll go to heaven when you die in His presence forever and ever and ever, a place of joy and peace and fulfillment and wonder. Where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus here in this life. That's the entire counsel of God. We've got to tell people the truth. Churches cannot tickle ears anymore. It's time to get real with our culture and say, this is what the Bible says. The whole counsel of God. I read an anecdote about a group of servicemen that received a new chaplain. And this group of servicemen, they were kind of a, a rowdy group, kind of a tough group. And they wanted to give this new chaplain a hard time. And so they asked him this question. They asked this new chaplain if he believed in a real hell for lost sinners, a real literal hell. And this particular chaplain, chaplain was of a more liberal persuasion, did not believe the entire counsel of God's word, did not hold the Bible as authoritative. And so he smiled very winsome way and said, no, I, I don't believe in a, in a real literal hell for sinners. And here's how the servicemen responded. Then you're wasting our time, the men replied. If there is no hell, we don't need you. Right? Think about it. If there's no hell, why do we need chaplains? Why do we need preachers? There's no hell. Why do we need you, the men are saying. If there is a hell, you're leading us astray. Either way, we're better off without you. (laughs) Wow. In other words, if you're not going to be a a faithful watchman, you're doing us no good. And if we're not going to be faithful watchmen, we're doing our culture no favors. Paul was a faithful watchman. Here's a third thing that faithful watchmen do. Faithful watchmen take advantage of the opportunities God gives. Verse 26. Paul makes it very, very clear. Look what he says. I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, Paul's saying... During my time in Ephesus, I was faithful to share Jesus in every opportunity, every divine appointment that God placed in my path. Now, you need to understand that before I preach a sermon to you, the week before I'm studying and I'm preaching it to myself, and I began to think through times in my life when I've I've missed opportunities, and, 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 and God put someone in my path, a, a divine appointment because I was tired or in a hurry or just lazy spiritually, whatever. I just, I let that opportunity slip through my fingers. And in those moments, I was not a, a faithful watchman. Have you ever had those times in your life? So what do I do if I've missed opportunities, opportunities in the past? Just repent, ask God to forgive you. And ask him to help you to move forward. Being a faithful 
watchmen. I've, I've shared the story with you before, I'm, I'm sure, but it bears repre- uh, repeating because it illustrates this in my own life. Uh, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in Orlando uh, a few years ago, and it was a great time you know, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we had these uh, big worship services, and, you know, Casting Crowns was there leading worship, and Travis Cottrell, and, and we were singing these great songs, and worshiping, hearing great preaching, and, and, I, and I left the convention, and I was just excited, you know, about, about the Lord, and I remember I, I was in our van, and I, and I put on a song, I was getting ready to go back and, and meet my family, who's in North Florida with the, our extended family, and uh, I put on a song in the van, it was the song Stronger. And uh, I remember that song was playing. I was just, man, my heart was full of, of, of joy, just singing stronger, you are stronger, and thinking about all that God had done in my life. And in that moment, all I, all I can tell you, it was as if the Spirit of God said, what about your grandparents? I was in the Orlando area. My grandparents live in, in the, the outskirts of the Orlando area, and I was in the vicinity. I was getting ready to go back and meet up with my family. I was excited to get back up to North Florida and, and see them again. Um, but I... I said, I need, to, I need to reach out to my grandparents. And so I picked up my cell phone, and I, and I called, and they were there that day. And I went by, and it was just me and my grandparents. I had the opportunity to just walk them through uh, a gospel presentation and share the good news with them. And you say, well, Wade, you're a hero, aren't you? What a heroic, Wade did good, right? Heard the song called, you know, went and shared the gospel. Listen to me. That is not a, an example of heroic behavior. As a matter of fact, the reason I had to go do that is because I'd been disobedient in the past. I'd missed many opportunities to share the good news with my grandparents. And so that's not a story of Wade being heroic. That's a story of Wade being disobedient and God convicting me. And we've all, listen, we've all missed those divine appointments that God has placed in our path. But if we want to move forward and follow Paul's example, we are called to be faithful watchmen, to tell people the truth about eternity, the truth about Jesus, the truth about salvation, the truth about life. Paul was a faithful watchman. And if we follow his example, we will be faithful watchmen. Maybe this week we all need to be more sensitive about what God may be doing around us. Maybe we need to be more sensitive to divine appointments that God lines up. And we're in the perfect place at the perfect time to share hope concerning Jesus. Divine opportunities are given to us. Faithful watchmen take advantage of those opportunities. So here's the point. Here's how I would sum up this sermon. By God's grace, we can emulate the example of Paul's surrender for the sake of the gospel. Now notice that first phrase, by God's grace. Listen to me. This is not a pick yourselves up by the bootstraps type sermon. I'm not, this is not a pep rally. Where I'm saying, hey, get out there and do better. Let's do better. What I'm saying is this. Paul is worthy of our emulation. And we will never begin to live up to that without God's help, right? We need God's grace. So ask him for help. And, and by God's grace, we can emulate the example of Paul's surrender, reckless abandon for the sake 
of the gospel. See, whatever you do in this life, whatever your vocation is, whatever your lot and station in life, whatever your background is, wherever you find yourself living, listen to me, it's for the sake of the gospel. Gospel proclamation is not just for preachers and missionaries. Amen? It's for all of us. And wherever God's placed you, He has put you in a place to live your life for the sake of the gospel. He, you, listen, you have unique opportunities to share Jesus that no one else has. You're there. God has placed you there. So leverage where you are and what you do and your situation in life for the gospel. That's what Paul did. And By God's grace, you can begin to emulate this example of a hero of the faith. Intimacy with God. Reckless abandon to the will of God. A faithful watchman with the gospel. Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads? I'll close with this story. Eric Liddell was a great Olympic athlete. It's the Olympic season. We're thinking about the Olympics. and Eric Liddell was from Scotland and he competed in the Olympic Games uh, for Great Britain. Gold medalist, great athlete, engaging personality. And um, he had it all. He's popular. He was a Christ follower. And he walked away from that popularity and that applause and that attention. And he left and he went to China. And he gave his life for the gospel in China. Some people would look at that and say, what a waste. Couldn't he have used his athletic platform in Great Britain and had more of an impact? No. Eric Liddell simply lived in reckless abandon. and He was willing to follow Jesus wherever he led. The question is, are you willing? Even if you know it's going to be hard and difficult, are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads. He leads.